Well, good morning, Fellowship family. It's good to be back with you this week. As I traveled uh, just out over the past 11 days, I went to Ethiopia and then India by way of Dubai. And uh, man, I am so glad to be back in the U.S. of A. Uh, but I'm on still kind of on a different time zone. Uh, so if I fall asleep during the, my service, um, you might be able to relate to me this morning. Hey, we are continuing uh, uh, this series called Mission Possible, and we're going throughout the book of Acts. And wh- what a great experience it was for me to travel and see what God is doing all around the world, whether it's in Africa or whether it's in India. I was just so encouraged as I was preaching through this to see God actually moving and advancing the gospel. There's a movement right now in Africa. Over 44 million believers are advancing the gospel in northern Africa there. And just phenomenal what God is doing. Well, you know, as we've talked about this mission made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit... We've seen that they were literally witnesses. These first disciples were witnesses to the end of the earth. And that's where the gospel is moving us now in the book of Acts. It started in Jerusalem and then it moved its way out from into Samaria, Judea and Samaria. And then now it's starting to the ends of the earth. And a church that really bought into that vision for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth was that church in Antioch, current day Syria. But that church in Antioch was that sending church. And this journey of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth actually required vision and direction and support, physical and spiritual support. And Antioch was that church who owned the vision of sending witnesses to the end of the earth. I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 13 as we pick up on this story. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Here, Paul and Barnabas are appointed by God and then affirmed by man to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Do you remember when Paul converted? Two weeks ago, we talked about that, him converting on his way to Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, God uh, took him and blinded him, brought him to Damascus and told Ananias, I don't know if you remember it, but he said, I have appointed him to take the gospel to the Gentiles and he's also appointed to suffer for my name. Well, this first missionary journey, which Paul and Barnabas did, is you're going to see that the gospel moving out to the Gentiles, but you're also going to see them suffering for the name of Jesus. So the gospel moved from Antioch and they sent them off. They went to the port of Seleucia and then they sailed to the island of Cyprus. The first port they came to was Salamis. And there it is. And they, this was a, 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 a cruise, or a ship ride for about 130 miles. By the way, it was far from the cruise, unless you're talking about the Royal Caribbean one that hits the Category 5 winds this past week. But uh, this was uh, this was the gospel going from the known to the unknown. And if you remember, Barnabas was from this island of Cyprus. And uh, the, the, the story is about real people. This story is about real places, the cities that, that the gospel went to. Each one of these cities had a stronghold in them. I believe that is true today. I believe even Topeka has a stronghold that resists the gospel. 
For those of us who believe the gospel, what's the greatest gift ever given? It's the greatest gift ever received. But that's on this side of grace. For those without the gospel, people are thinking, what, what good is the gospel? Why do I need Jesus in my life? There, there's resistance to it. There's a personal resistance. There may be even a cultural resistance to the gospel. Well, it's the same today as it was back then. But they took the gospel and they sailed to Salamis. And uh, what, what do we know about this area? It says that they went and they started to preach the gospel and they started in the synagogues of the Jews. And why did they do that? Why did they start the gospel in any place they went with the synagogue? And that, the answer to that is, well, the Jews actually believed in the God that they were talking about. They actually built the foundation of the law and the prophets. They already believed that the word of God was powerful and authoritative in their lives, that it was truth. And so they built on that and they usually preached the gospel off the basis of the Old Testament. That that the law was perfectly completed in the person in the work of Jesus, who was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He's our ultimate and final sacrifice. That the prophets, everything the prophets preached about the coming Messiah, Jesus himself fulfilled. He's the greater of all the prophets. He's prophet. He's priest. And just like the kings were given to Israel, Jesus is the king of kings. And so the gospel was preached on that basis. And then they moved to Paphos. And Paphos is about 90 miles away. And here at Paphos, the seat was the seat of the Roman government on Cyprus. This is where superstition meets the Savior. And this city was kind of controlled by a guy named Bar-Jesus. And Bar-Jesus in, in the... Um, the, the Aramaic of that, it literally means son of salvation. Jesus is, God is salvation based with Joshua in the Old Testament. And so this, this, uh, son of salvation was, was a magician and he astounded people with his illusions and things like that. And the Roman proconsul in that city named Sergius Paulus really was believing in this guy until Paul came and preached the gospel. But Bar Jesus was that resistance in that city and he came up and opposed Paul. And Paul did a play on his name publicly in front of everyone. As he was preaching the gospel, he said, your name's Bar Jesus. Really, you're not son of salvation. You're son of the devil. And he struck him with blindness. And here this guy goes blind. Sounds ironic, doesn't it? Paul was struck with blindness. And people had to lead him away. And so that's what they did. And this Roman proconsul turned from Bar Jesus and believed in the true Jesus and gave his life to Christ. The gospel's moving. The gospel's advancing. It didn't just stay in Cyprus, though. It moved. It moved back to what's now common day or, or current day, uh, Turkey, to, to the city of Perga. And something interesting is shared some 200 miles away from that port city of Paphos. Here, John Mark, one of their traveling mates, deserted them. We aren't told why. There's probably a ton of reasons. I mean, traveling in that day was really tough. He may have gotten seasick. He may have gone, boy, I had no idea advancing the gospel was going to be like this. He was younger than Paul and Barnabas. Maybe he missed his homeland. Maybe he missed his parents. Maybe he was lonely or irritable or frustrating. I'm just coming back from a 11-day trip, and there were moments when I was irritable. There were moments when I was hangry, okay? And and it's easy to have dissension. It's easy to have discord uh, when everything is new, when everything is fresh, and even when you're resisted. 
We aren't told why. We're going to come back to this in Acts chapter 16 because this was a bone of contention with Paul and Barnabas even in accepting John Mark back. We'll come back to that story. But then they, they went from Perga and they, tra- they, uh, they uh, walked up 120 miles north to the town of Antioch in Pisidia. This is a different one than the one in Syria. But here the gospel is really shown to the Gentiles. This was a Roman colony with a large Jewish, Jewish population. And just like a normal, they started preaching the gospel at the synagogue there. Paul's message, as it's contained in chapter 13, is rich with Old Testament historical background. From Exodus to the kings, even to David, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he preached in Antioch. Look what he said specifically about Jesus. He said in Acts thirteen thirty eight. he said, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. And so that's what that's who's calling them to is to turn from uh, their their seeking after their works to the grace of God through the provision of Jesus Christ. This was also the place where on the next Sabbath, after they did this, a whole bunch of Gentiles came. And the Gentiles, by the way, are all non-Jews. So if you're wondering what Gentiles means, anyone who's not Jewish is referred to as Gentile. These people started from a Greek culture coming in and listening to this message. They started believing it. And it says there that they were rejoicing and they were glorifying in, in this whole picture of the gospel. And they believed this. And, and they received eternal life. The gospels is spreading here. But the Jews started getting jealous. They thought, well, wait a minute. These, these covenant promises of Jesus, the blessing of Jesus, this is only for us. It's not for Gentiles. They got to come in and obey the law before they're part of who we are. And Paul said, nope. And so therefore the Jews started Building up dissension. And I love what it says here. It says that um, devout women of high standing. <laughs> they, they ticked them off and got them focused on Paul and Barnabas. You don't want to ever deal with a devout woman of high standing. But it also says that along with leading men of the city, they stirred up opposition. And Paul and Barnabas were driven from Antioch. And they literally leave that town and they dust. The, the dust off their feet. They shake the dust off their feet. Literally, that's a public picture of God. Get them. <laughs> We're walking out. So they walked out and they moved to Iconium. Iconium is actually 75 miles, kind of, kind of a uh, southeast of Antioch. And here at Iconium, my goodness, this is where the gospel meets, uh, a celebrity or um, the gospel meets extremes. They faced opposition and they endured and they preached boldly and performed signs and wonders to confirm the truth of the gospel. This was met with some mixed reaction. Some believed and yet some rejected. And as they were persistent, because it says we stayed there uh, not not short a time, which means a long time, the, the people who didn't want to trust Jesus rose up against them. And they planned to, pil- to kill Paul and Barnabas by stoning them. They heard of this news and they fled to Lystra. And this, this is where the gospel meets uh, celebrity. Because uh, when Paul was preaching, he saw a man who was crippled from birth. And he said, stand up on your feet. 
And he sprung up and he began walking. And all the people in Lystra started speaking in Lyconian. And they said, the gods have come down to us. They believed in the myth that uh, Zeus and Hermes came and lived as humans on the earth in that region. And they said, ah, it's happened again. And they called Paul Zeus, which is the god of all gods in the Greek system. And then Hermes, his son. And they were going to sacrifice an offering before them. But Paul and Barnabas tore open their robes and said, no, we're flesh. That was kind of a common picture of don't worship us. Don't give us the glory. And so they they uh, they, sac- they tried to sacrifice to them. And then the Jews came from Iconium and they set up dissension. And it resulted in Paul literally being stoned and left for dead. Think about this real quick, because this is an interesting picture. One day they're called gods. The next day they're stoned to death. Look at how fickle the crowd is. And what a great lesson. And think about just that whole experience with Paul. Remember Stephen being stoned and everyone laying their robes at his feet back in Jerusalem? Think about what it might have been just to see the other side. Maybe he was broken. Maybe he realized, wow. This is something. Here's someone appointed to take the gospel to the Gentiles is also appointed to suffer for the name of Jesus. And he was left for dead. They thought he was dead. So the disciples show up to him and they're ready to bury him, take his body away. But he he wakes up for somehow. He wakes up and he's able to walk down to Derby, not the Kentucky Derby, literally Derby. And it says here that they preached the gospel to that city and they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch and continued to strengthen those churches. Think about this. This is just fascinating. Here they went to Derby, not so long after he was stoned to death or stoned and, and left for dead. And he goes back to the very cities that rejected him. I mean, think about the boldness of moving the gospel. Think about the commitment that it required to move the gospel to the end of the earth. So he goes back to those areas. Then he comes all the way back to that port of Italia there and sails from Italia all the way back to Seleucia and then comes back to Antioch. And he reports to the church that sent them everything that had happened, all the works of God that was displayed to them and that the Gentiles were believing in the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, this is a great moment. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this. I mean, the closest I could have was kind of like when I was nine or ten years old and I was at Stormy Lake, Wisconsin, and my dad and I would go out fishing for the day. And uh, this was before live wells. We called them dead wells. They were they were stringers. You put the fish on a stringer and some of them would die throughout the day. But you'd come back and you'd come back to the dock and everyone would come down from the cabins and they would ask the question, what did you catch? And me, just as a little kid, I'd lift up a northern pike or a trout or a smallmouth bass and I said, look what we got. And my mom would go, great job, Joey. Even though my dad caught all the fish. Great job. And she took the picture. And we still have those memories of a great day fishing. I'm sure it was a moment like this. What did you guys, what did you guys experience? What did you catch? Wow, this is awesome. I actually had a moment like this last weekend. 
We flew in and we lost sleep because we had an overnight flight by the by way of Dubai. We hopped on this 2.30 in the morning flight that flew us to Chennai, India. And it's about 90 degrees in Chennai, India. We lost all of our sleep. And we went up, uh, went over to uh, to meet with 18 pastors of which our church is in partnership with. And we actually support three different pastors and their families for 300 bucks a month. We fully support a family and a pastor and his family. And uh, for, we, we do three of those families. And they started reporting to us. Augustine Asir is over there on the left. And uh, when you're in a room and it's 90 degrees and you haven't slept all night, guess what happens? Look at Mike Tyndall. His eyes are barely open there. He's right in the middle there. Rick, Rick Wirtz was smiling because he, he knew I had a camera and I would record him sleeping. But these guys started sharing what God is doing. And man, they're in remote regions. I don't think any of us Americans could go there just because they work in slums. And uh, the bacteria there is just crazy, but they're advancing the gospel. Each one of them would stand up and they would share in their own native language, John 3.16. They would share what God is doing in their, in their, in their church. Some of them are being beaten by, by Hindus who are resistant to the gospel. Others are, are uh, just sticking it out and seeing the gospel advance in their churches. Um, Here's here's some other ones there. And they would then sing a song and it they would sing a song, a worship song, and it went from stoic to one of them even dancing like this. It was kind of awkward, but he was praising Jesus in a different language and I was happy about it. And so then they shared and and uh, Kyle and I sat down on the floor with them and man, I'm worried about my sleep number and they're on a hard tile floor with a mat like that. That's where they sleep at night at this training center. Um, but then they also showed us two of the churches that we were able to build with money from our deep and wide expansion. Remember how 10% of the resources go to build churches? We built two churches in India. They hold about 150 people. They only cost about $7,000 to build. But they have churches there where the gospel's being promoted. And you're not, you don't just have a building. You have people who are being reached. I was so honored to be there. I, they, they, the world was not, I told them as I encouraged them, the world is not worthy of them, as the book of Hebrews says about those who suffer for the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did with these churches that they started. It says in Acts 14, 22 and 23, which is where we're going to put down the anchor here. It says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And really what this shows us is what does God do with a church? They were committed to three things. They were committed to bold preaching. They were committed to loving leadership. And they were committed to trusting the spirit with people. And I think those things are, are practices that remain today. I believe they're practices that I see are valuable for us to follow and to continue here as a church. And they show what God is doing with a church. The church is his plan A. There is no plan B. He uses the church to take the gospel from one place to the next. It's his glorious, unexplainable plan for taking the gospel from one person and one region to the next. 
and it remains today. First thing that God does with a church is he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. Do you realize this? I love how this talks about in them preaching boldly uh, the gospel in Acts chapter 14, verse 2 in Iconium. They were speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it talks about them strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Boy, the gospel in all its beauty here is shown. There's the point of salvation when we trust in the work of of Jesus. And they boldly proclaim that. They boldly proclaim it's not in obedience to the law. It's not in you being good enough. It's not in you doing things. It's you trusting in the one who's already done it for you. It's not about works. It's about grace. It's not about your expectations for God to pay you back. It's about you receiving humbly his grace. He shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with you through his church. And we're committed here at Fellowship Bible Church. We're committed because we're called to bold preaching for a bold faith. We're called to do this boldly. Passive preaching results in a passive faith. And I've seen this. I've seen this. When we preach the gospel passively, what we're saying is, it's only for you. Jesus is here to make all your wildest dreams come true. And this is just for you. He's to make you a better person. But the gospel really comes in and says, no, the focus of the gospel is a transformed heart. Where you turn away from your sin, you turn away from performance, and you live and you trust in the person who loved you, who lived a perfect life for you who died on a cross for you, and who rose again on the third day. We're called to bold preaching. See, the gospel will not move beyond you unless you're bold with it. Many Americans think it's just about you and God, and it's your private little experience and however you want to craft it. But it is for everyone. It's Bible. Really, the whole picture of the, of the gospel is, is that for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's for everyone. And I've seen the gospel move outside of the American culture and inside the American culture. And you know what? God will not, he will not limit where the gospel goes. It's taken to everyone, rich or poor, no matter what your race, no matter what your background, the gospel's meant to come into your life. And we're called to boldly preach it. That's how the gospel goes. And, and you know what? If Paul and Barnabas were not bold with the gospel, they would have stayed in Antioch. And the gospel would have never moved on there. Some of you have come to Christ because someone else was bold with the preaching of it. You would have never received the gospel unless someone was bold with it. And can I just think about the people God has already entrusted with you? How will they get the gospel unless you're bold with it? In love, obviously, being sensitive and respecting them, but being bold with the gospel. A bold faith that lives out the gospel. God's still doing that. He's still sharing the gospel of Jesus with you. Secondly, God loves and grows you in a family with the church. We see this. It it says that Paul and Barnabas set up appointed elders for them in every church. 
Wow, this is a picture, and we don't kind of see this whole picture of how God is loving and growing you until you look at the role of elder. And the role of elder is really seen as a shepherd, as an overseer. In 1 Peter 5, verse 2, Peter says to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Later on, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Wow, I've just seen the value of servant leadership in ministry. And we're called to do that. In every church, we're called for loving leadership for a unified family. A servant leader follows Jesus. And Jesus loved and he led his flock. And we're called in leadership. Every church should have some leadership. Here at Fellowship, we believe in the elder role as we see that of key leadership here. But we're called here to loving and leading the flock of God that's with us. I, I remember when I first came here, uh, the elders gathered around me and they, they basically said, Joe, preach the gospel without compromise. Share the truth and love of God from the scriptures. Love people when you do that and call them to find and follow Jesus Christ. And you know, they said, Joe, if you do that, we believe the Holy Spirit will m- move in and through us. And you know what? That's been my commitment over these past 14 years that I've been here. I remember when I first got out of seminary, my quest was to to really have great sermons. I mean, that that would have people come at the end of the day and go, great job. Wow, I love it when you preach. But that moved, that moved when I started really getting a glimpse of how the gospel moves from one person to the other. It's on the platform. It's on the motivation of love. So when I stepped away from really wanting great sermons to really wanting to love people as I speak the word of God, my goodness, everything changed for me. It's amazing when we choose to love people. It's amazing how God moves the truth through us. We can share the truth without love anytime. And sometimes we can share love without the truth. We're called to both. And you know what? That's, that's been transformational for us here is to speak the truth of God in love. And I want to encourage you. That's it. We're, we're a family. The family terms is how Paul referred to his churches that he planted. He called them brothers and sisters. And in, in, you know, he talked about our heavenly father and our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, that we're related to each other because of the blood of Jesus. We're family. And so being connected into a church is a key value for each of us and to grow as a family. Now, we all know that a unified family is an important thing. How many of us have been part of raising kids where one kid played one parent off the next? Huh? What did mom really say? Did she really say that? Or are you using that to get me? We've been played off. And sometimes churches can play off different leaders against each other. We can have gossip. We can have sabotage. We can be critical. We can be cynical about leadership, especially in our anti-authority age that we live in right now. There can be resentment. There can be bitterness based on less than perfect decisions that are made in a church. I've been a part of all that. I've grown up in the church. And there's even been times when I've gossiped about leaders. And I've been bitter about leaders who were over me. But you know what? That does not build. That grieves the Holy Spirit When I do that and when we do that, we're called to a unified family, a unified leadership. That's why it's important that leadership shares key values and a direction that result in a unified family. 
And then finally, God gifts and empowers you to serve others. Look what they said. It says, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They entrusted them to the Lord. And we're called to do that. We're called to trust the spirit for shared ministry. Think about Paul and Barnabas as they traveled throughout this area that we were talking. If they said, boy, this place has got to be perfect before we move on. <laughs> the church would have, wouldn't have gone out of Antioch. Churches are far from perfect, but they follow someone who is. And so they trusted in the Holy Spirit in the lives of people and they shared ministry with them. We've got to do that as a church. We can't have one leader that everyone, everything just funnels through. That's going to be a bottleneck in a second. We need to trust people. No one's perfect, but there's a whole bunch of good enoughs out there. And in leadership, we need to say that's good enough. With biblical principles about leadership, people of good reputation, people who are respected, people who have a track record, people who have a love for the Lord and others, those are good enough. Those are good enough values because we're all called to get in the game of what God is doing here. Every one of you who knows Jesus is a minister. Don't wait for a job title to to do that, okay? Every one of us is a minister, and everywhere we go is a ministry opportunity. It's not just here in the church. It's outside this church. And so we're called, as we function as a church, to empower people and to, to make them aware of their gifts and provide them opportunities to serve the Lord. I've realized one of the greatest things I could do in ministry was to unclasp my claws from control in ministry and set it apart, set it free in the lives of others. We have to do that. Because I've come to the end of myself so many times where I was so in control that I didn't want to give up control. And I came to the end of myself. I couldn't do it all. And God brought me to that point where he's raised up other leaders to help. And I have to trust them. But it's not just trusting them. It's trusting the spirit in them to grow and mature. And a good church hands off leadership. Now, here are the three things God does with a church. We see this with Paul and Barnabas. And it was messy. Trust me, it was messy. We're going to see in, in future, future weeks that, boy, Paul had to write two, maybe three times to the church in Corinth because they were messing things up. God had to write to the church in Galatia because they were bringing works back into what God had done for free. And, and you know what? It's going to be messy, but we have to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit in our church. Can I ask you some questions just as we close? Number one, if what God wants to do in a church is share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, have you responded to the gospel? Have you, by faith, trusted in the work of Jesus? I know a lot of us come from backgrounds of works where we think if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'll get in. I remember talking to one guy. He said, I believe there's a God, but that's about it. Well, God has shown himself fully and finally in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's time to trust him. It's time to turn from your sin and trust the only one who can save you. His name is Jesus. And salvation right now is offered to you in the name of Jesus. Trust him. Turn from your sins right now where you're at. Say, Jesus, thank you for living, for dying and for resurrecting from the dead for me. I trust you. I turn from my sin. I begin to follow you. Show me your love. Show me your grace and help me to follow you. However, you're going to do that, Lord. I trust you right now. And if that's your heart, 
welcome to the family. As the gospel has been shared with you, you've received it. And now you can live it. Secondly, if God is loving and growing you in a family, are you in? If you know Jesus, are you in a family? You know, it's not terribly important to me that everyone needs to be a member at Fellowship Bible Church, okay? But I want you, every believer, to be committed to a local church. I want you, if it's not fellowship, find someplace where you can follow Jesus and you can serve him. Don't sit on the sidelines. You know, the average American, church-going American, goes to church 1.4 times a month. You can't be in a family 1.4 times a month. It's really hard to do. Trust me. Try talking to your wife 1.4 times a month. It doesn't work, especially on Valentine's Day. So we are called into relationship, committed, faithful relationship. Yeah, we're going to be far from perfect. Join a small group. You'll see it. You'll see it. We've got a veneer. We all look good on the weekend. But then we start sharing our garbage in a small group. And someone goes, whoa, had no idea. And then you realize what true love, what true growth is when you stick around, when people share the truth about who they are and you love them anyway. Guess who they see? They see the love of Jesus in you. God, use us. We're better together than we are alone. I'm better because I have you. You will be better if you connect here. Trust me, I see God working. But get connected. Don't stay on the sidelines anymore. I mean, respectfully, there's a hundred reasons for you not to be here. But there's got to be the priority and the commitment for you to get connected and to love others and to grow in your faith in a unified family. Join with us. How will your kids ever know of, of the passion that you have for Christ if you're not committed with a group of people? How will they ever be a part of ministry if you're not connected in ministry? We've got to be involved. We've got to model what we want. And so we call you to love and grow in a family. And then finally, if God is gifting and empowering you to serve others through a church, are you serving? Now we can't, I know that it's normal. To have uh, 20% do 80% of the serving in ministry. That is not godly, though. I mean, there's a lot of things that are normal. They're just not godly. The scriptures call us that every one of us has been gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve, to advance the kingdom of God in our generation. Let me encourage you, get off the sidelines and into the game. It can start small. But you're never going to get a greater passion for ministry until you get in the game. Some of you know that. You kind of were on the, on the sidelines and then you signed up for a short-term mission trip to dig a, a living water well someplace in a third world country. And you just saw God use you and you saw God work through you. Some of you signed up to be a trail guide down in the mountain or even in the nursery. And you just saw God use you and it gave you an appetite for greater things. We always start with the smaller things because the smaller things move us to greater things. So start someplace where every one of you can be involved in ministry because God wants to empower you and gift you to serve others through his church. And here's the deal. As we're committed to preaching and to loving leadership and to trusting the spirit, guess what moves from us to others? The gospel. It's these practices that just move the gospel from us to others. Let's be a part of it. Let's continue to take the gospel to the end of the earth through being a part of what God is doing in his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. 
I want to thank you for moving the gospel, for not letting it stagnate in just a group of people, but moving it to whosoever would call on your name would be saved. Thank you for using us. You could do it by yourself, probably even better, but you choose to invite us to be a part of something great. And and Lord, we thank you for being a part of your church. May we be people who are committed to a bold faith, committed to a unified family, and committed to trusting the Spirit with each person we meet. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.